for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. All right, Matt Zimmer, moment of serendipity on my drive here today. The song playing on the radio, Katrina and the Waves, Walking on Sunshine, which we discussed last week from the movie. That's uh, right. From the movie High Fidelity. Fidelity. Yes, and Jack Black, surprisingly, the music snob. The, uh, it's a the, good song. I totally get the, why the, the music the, snob would the, like it. Yeah, look, Perfect yeah, Monday morning tape yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Not, or, or, that yeah. doesn't fire you up. Thursday, 11 o'clock on another cloudy, shitty spring day in Sioux Falls, driving into the Gateway Lounge type of thing. You tune. needed it, huh? Well, I didn't need it. It was just nice to have. And, uh, then, and then it's been uh, just an 80s, uh, total random 80s uh, playlist in here. We've had You Miss Walk Like an Egyptian before you got here. There was a little bit of... Um, uh, Queen, another one bites the dust. Little Elton John, we just heard. I, so, is, is that is that up your alley? Are those guilty pleasures for you? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I'm, okay. I consider myself an '80s kid. I know literally all these songs word for word. If yeah, I, you know. There's. Yeah. I saw a, a guy that uh, reminds me of you uh, in Omaha uh, that I that I used to know on radio way back in the day, and he's a like he's in a drummer called that 70s band so he plays a lot of 70s cover <laughs> tunes his name is dan duffy his nickname is duff he was a dj most of his like a rock dj pretty sure heavily inspired by uh the johnny fever character on wkrp in cincinnati uh-huh. and so anyway i saw I, I, he's a good facebook follow and he said i hope i could find it but he basically said he mentioned def leopard i don't know why oh he said sirius xm satellite radio has a def leopard channel now uh he said that's groovy here's the deal the leps lost their mojo when they canned pete willis 40 years ago pre-pyromania anything after 1982 is vanilla <laughs> <laughs> coming in hard with the hot def leopard so, take. so basically anything that most of us know from def leopard pour some sugar on me and uh what else? Hysteria and uh, yeah. photograph. Apparently, that's all shit. I was like, that's the Jack Black of Def, Def Leppard uh, take right there. Not uh, a Def Leppard fan. I so. know. It, well, I figured you yeah. weren't. Why not? Because they're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a fun game I like to play. So I'm going to try one more at you. I was just thinking this today before the drive over here. Uh, we were talking about this stuff last week. Sometimes it's tough to tell what to guess what Matt might like and what he doesn't like <laughs> musically. Because you know, walking on sunshine, Katrina and the waves, that might be a surprise to some people. Nineties ska, ska. Did you? Did you? Uh, I'm, no. I, uh, oh, see, I wanted to play the game. I wanted to try and guess. No. It's not all black and white or yes or Anything no. Anything with you. horns, I'm probably not going to be a really? big fan of. Why not? Not entirely, but. <laughs> That whole ska thing, no. <laughs> and also, they're right around the same. Remember, there was the like swing dance sort of revival, like Cherry oh, Pop and Daddies. That, that, that and guy, uh, Zoot Suit Riot, and all that the, stuff. The guy that like, was in the Stray Cats. The, no, the, the, that's more Brian Rockabilly. Seltzer Brian Seltzer. Okay. Not that so much. Brian Seltzer's legit. Yeah. Um, no, more like the. There was that Zoot Suit Riot was a big hit when I was in high school. Zoot Suit Riot. uh, I remember being like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I might die if I have to hear any more of this. So so you like... I kind of align that with Scott. It's all kind of the same thing to me. So you like Rockabilly? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Elvis, Carl Perkins, Chuck Berry, that's all... Rockabilly, essentially, yeah. and yes. you know, 
the Brian Setzer's a throwback to the '50s rockabilly stuff. The derailers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what was it? Uh, Reverend Horton Heat. Yes, big fan oh, of the Rev. Oh yeah. Yes. My theme song on my college radio show, sports show, was a Reverend Horton Heat's uh, Martini Time. No, <laughs> it was. Uh, it, well, it started with... Uh, Bales of cocaine? Probably not that not one. Not quite that one. Uh, no, well, no one was listening, so <laughs> that could have been it. It was... Um, oh, it, it was... Da, na, 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 uh, get Wasted, uh, Buy Us Beer, da, 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 I don't know. I don't remember the song. I could find Are it Are you someday. sure it was Reverend Horton Heat? That doesn't ring a bell. I am absolutely sure it was Reverend Horton Heat. There was no doubt it was Reverend Horton Heat. Uh, and, 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 to, and to finish the conversation, July 4th, about six or seven years ago, I had two choices on a Friday night in the summer. One was uh, go to Omaha for a free show. They do the they do the uh, free 4th of July-ish show like Sioux City does. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Sioux City has their Saturday in the Park thing, and last year was John Fogarty. Uh, and... In Omaha, it was Huey Lewis in the News. You go see Huey Lewis in the News, and this I could have, uh-huh. you know, my parents were still living there. I could have parked six blocks away, or uh, stay in Lincoln and go see the Reverend Horton Heat downtown. I chose Reverend Horton Heat. I was, I was happy with my decision. They played Sioux Falls about 10, 12 years ago. It was, I went. They were good. All right. Well, so if you're still listening to us, thank you. We appreciate it, and uh, <laughs> uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation. All right. Uh, this week's show is a, a big follow-up on last week's show because uh, something major happened with Baylor Shireman, and then, of course, Pierre Strong got, and a few other Jackrabbits and locals got drafted. And uh, we were chatting. When we saw the list for Baylor Shireman last week, uh, I think he, he, I don't even know if he had narrowed his down to 10 yet, but we saw the opening he, list. He had not, no. The opening no. list included Duke and Kansas and Kentucky, and you're mm-hmm. like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he narrows it down to 10, then 5, and on both those lists, Nebraska and Creighton were there. And uh, <laughs> he goes with Creighton, which to me makes perfect sense and is a perfect fit, and I could describe why. But how surprised were you considering Duke, KU, Kentucky, and um, Clemson? Not on- surprised by the information we had by that time. Uh, the same athletic reporter that had been, I believe he's the Kentucky beat writer, that had kind of been saying like, hey, Coach Cal's all in, Kentucky's on this guy. No kidding. A couple days before that, he sent out a tweet saying, like, yeah, Baylor Shireman's not happening. And he made it sound like it was because Baylor Shireman was asking for a lot. That he was basically telling Kentucky, you know, I'm going to be your dude, right? And they were like, uh, no. And they backed off. That he wa- apparently – and again, I'm, I'm only attributing this to what this other guy tweeted, that Baylor had asked for more money and more playing time, essentially. more sh- Like, he even floated the idea that there was, like, a minimum shots per game number that they had talked about. And that Coach Cal was like, yeah, no. And uh, so that Kentucky pulled out, according to this guy. Um, and then he made it sound like maybe the, the sights are being aimed a little lower. Then he came out, Baylor did, with his – final five and nebraska was on it and i kind of chuckled because i had said on this show we go yeah there's no fucking way even me the nebraska fans like come on he can't do that to himself and people must have kind of thought the same thing because one of the nebraska reporters reached out to baylor i was like are you serious about this and he's like yes they're they're on my list they have a have a shot and i think most people here know baylor shireman's an aurora nebraska native that's about an hour and a half Um, from lincoln but I think we all just kind of felt like, why would you just stay at SDSU? They're a better basketball team right now. Mm-hmm. You know, granted you're in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it might have been more about the the teams you're playing against than the team you're playing for. Well, in Nebraska, he'd um, probably be, I, I, and they'd have more NIL money too. Yeah, you know, that too. And he'd be a bigger star there. I mean, I it's a revolving door, and it's been a disaster right. for Fred Hoiberg, and right. I'd like to think he'd be a 
prominent right. player there. But once it got down to that final five, I think Duke was on the final. It was, it was Duke, Clemson, Arkansas, and the two Nebraskas. Um, Creighton kind of seemed like the one that made the most sense at that point. That's where he ended up. Uh, Creighton's coached by Greg McDermott, who, you know, TJ and, and Hendo, both former Greg McDermott assistants. So I haven't talked to Hendo since Baylor made his decision. Um, I, I plan to at some point, and I'm, I'll be curious if, you know, McDermott and Hendo had some conversations where they talked about what kind of fit would he be here and, you know, if maybe Hendo even pushed him in that direction. Not that Baylor was listening to Hendo necessarily, but he may be like, hey, I know this guy, you know. It's yeah. a great fit. You'll be happy there. I don't know. Um, but it seems to make sense. Um, and Creighton had a good team this year, and apparently they got everybody coming back because, you know, some of the big college basketball reporters, the Jeff Goodmans, the John Rothsteins, are talking about Creighton being a potential national championship contender now next year um, with Baylor in the fold. And I don't think they've ever made it farther than the Sweet 16 in the history no. of their program. No. So that's a pretty big deal. And good for him. He gets to go home, play in the – and, you know, we forget, or some people forget – uh, Creighton's not in the Valley anymore. You know They're in the Big East, and you look who's in the Big East. You're talking about Villanova, Georgetown, Providence, the team that just knocked them out of the tournament, St. John's. Exactly. I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal. And that that's where I was going with this as well. Is, uh, is there any other reason beyond when Creighton making sense to you, beyond what you just gave? Or is that well, pretty much it? Whatever they gave him in NIL money, which well, I'm told was well into the six figures. Sure. Uh, that's certainly another uh, rabbit hole we can go down, although we did that last week. Uh, but... So for me, I go, okay, of course, and most people know, I'm a hardcore Husker fan, so I was rooting hard for Nebraska. Oh, my God, this might happen. This could, mm-hmm. And I have no idea if this could change the fortunes of the Huskers because apparently Fred Hoiberg, like he did at Iowa State, he was getting transfers. He's getting good players. He was getting better talent than Tim Miles was, and he's just been shit. It's been like he's like 20 and 55 or something right. like that. Most places would have fired him, but he's ex- he's got an expensive contract and whatever. And so, well, but they essentially demote him or like – Cut his salary, yeah. and fired all his assistants. They did and, that to Scott yeah. Frost too, yeah. uh, and they're giving these guys one more chance, partly because they're just so fucking expensive. These contracts that they signed, uh, they were big, sought after, hired guns when they were hired, and, mm-hmm. and in both cases, nothing's happened. And uh, so I can't say like just because ba- just because Baylor Shireman goes to Nebraska now, Nebraska is going to be that much better because right. Baylor because nothing's worked there the last few years. Uh, Creighton made sense beca- because I, the the last point you made. Is it's not. It is <laughs> the the Big East is one of the Power Six schools. It's Power Five in football. It's Power Six or Super Six, whatever you want to call it in basketball. Uh-huh. The Big East is not what it used to be because some of the schools aren't there anymore. Like Syracuse isn't there anymore. UConn, I think, left. Uh, yeah. But I th- no, think they're coming back. It. They left. They were. I mean, UConn was demoted to the American Athletic Conference with like Houston and Memphis and stuff mm-hmm. because the the new Big East when it formed about a decade ago uh-huh. was. Uh, all like private Jesuit schools, Jesuit or Catholic, like Villanova and Georgetown, Marquette. Uh-huh. That's what all these schools are. Uh, but then I think that, I think at some point they realized, even though Villanova's really lifted the profile of the league the last ten years to make it a uh-huh. big time league again, uh, that you know UConn's a pretty good uh, brand name. Maybe yeah. we should relax that whole private school thing to to welcome back UConn into the fold, and uh, and so they did. So anyway, the Big East is legit. Is it the Big Twelve? Is it the Big Ten? It's not as deep. No, Villanova's been a big part, and Creighton's been a big part. I mean, Creighton's been solid. 20-25 wins, NCAA tournament almost every year, and where the Baylor Shireman part is also a perfect fit, offensively prolific. They've mm-hmm. always been an entertaining team. They're a good watch. They score a lot of points. Greg McDermott has an easy-flowing system, and it's not just allowing guys to 
you know, go one-on-one and play hero ball. They just move mm-hmm. the ball well, and it's a lot of fast breaks and three-pointers. It's the SDSU offense. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, he goes, and, and Creighton's always been explosive offensively. SDSU, of course, number one in efficiency and number two in scoring this past year, so it all makes sense. It'll be a seamless transition for him. And, uh, by the way, there's about uh, they get about 18,000, 19,000 people a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just playing in a big-time college atmosphere. That's an NBA-sized arena mm-hmm. and crowd for every game, which, by the way, they sell beer. Maybe a topic we'll get to as well. <laughs> uh, so it's great. And uh, the, when I saw a national championship contender, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that seems a little bit of a stretch. Because uh, Creighton's never really been that close to that, but they have been a top 20 team for quite a bit the last several years. So, awesome. Any, uh, have, have you had a chance to talk to Baylor? I have not. Okay. And what do you... What I do don't you, really want to. I mean, oh, he's okay. gone. You know. Oh, okay. That, nothing against him. Just, you know, I reached out to him when he entered the portal. He said, no thanks, I don't want to talk. Well, I'm not going to beg you. you know? Yeah. I mean... I appreciate the story about Kentucky because part of this is you wonder, okay, it was great to have Duke, KU, Kentucky, and stuff on the list, but... Were they really? Were any of those schools really that high on him? Well, yeah. Just, I mean, I'm sure Coach Cal would have loved to have him. Apparently, but you know, he was probably thinking <laughs> another piece of the puzzle when, yeah. when perhaps Baylor was thinking, "Oh, I'm going to come there and be your dude." Yeah. I mean, asking about shots, number, of, you know, a number of shots. Again, that's per all. Game. Yeah. I, I don't cannot corroborate any yeah. of that, but that was what I read. And I mean, I, you know, I think Baylor's a good kid. And I know a lot of SDSU fans are mad at him now, and I've even heard some people within the program are upset about. And we hear the same shit every every time. People said this about um, T.J. Otzelberger. It's not that he left; it's the way he left. What way would you like them to leave? You know, kissing your ass on the way out. I mean, there's no good way to leave. You know, and because I've already heard about it. it's not that I get it. Baylor's you know got all these offers, and he's going to get money, and it's just the way he left. Like. I'm sorry. This is how it works. You know, he's got an agent in his ear telling him what to do and what not to do. Um, so yeah, he enters the portal one day, and next thing he's gone. Um, you know, but I, but I, my point is, I think Baylor's a good dude. I don't think he's this arrogant asswipe who's going around telling everyone I'm hot shit and you need to give me this or that. But you know, he's a, he does have agents who are ha- handling some exactly. of this for him. And also, I'll say in, in Baylor's defense, there's a fine line between being. A, an arrogant prick and just being really confident and anyone who watched Baylor play or has had a conversation with him he's extremely confident and he should be the kid was the greatest fucking quarterback in Nebraska high school history Mm -hmm. and doesn't even play football you know and he's going and he might get a chance to play in the NBA I mean everything he's ever touched sports wise he's been really good at I don't blame him for saying to John Calipari or anyone else like yeah I'm gonna be your dude yeah but then if they say yeah no we're good then that's why how you end up at Creighton. Yeah, which is why I still go back to just you're incredibly lucky to have him, Jackrabbit fans. Yeah. You're lucky to have somebody of that caliber. Yeah. And But also, I, I, I agree with you. It's more of a glimpse. I'm not saying what a douche. I'm saying it's a glimpse into what what the modern college sports yes. world is. It's, it's up yes. front right in front you know, of your face. You know who I do want to talk to, and I'm probably going to sometime soon, is Mike Dom. I want to hear what Mike Dom thinks about Baylor Shireman. I want to th- hear what Mike Dom thinks about NIL. Um, I don't know if Mike will come out and say, yeah, if I could do it now, I'd probably grad transfer or leave or whatever. But if Baylor Shireman's worth three, four, five dollars $500,000, whatever we've heard, yeah. or, were the numbers being thrown out there, I mean, try and think about what a big deal Mike Dom was when he was a junior Ugh. and senior. I mean, he was on ESPN all the time. He was in Sports Illustrated. He was a household name beyond just, you know, South Dakota. 
I can only imagine. And and plus, just what a charismatic dude he was. Yeah. How he took you the know, words out of for the cameras and yeah. be great on TV. Like he would have went more. He would have been a, a seven figure dude in NIL mm-hmm. money. And yep. and I don't think there's any way he would have stayed at SDSU after his junior year. I think he would have been like, hey, sorry, every school in America is offering me literally millions of dollars to come there where there's more exposure. But you know, he would have left. Yeah, he would have left. I don't want to put those words in his mouth, but. I'm pretty sure he would have left. Yeah. And, and I wonder right now, not, sorry to cut, nope, cut you off, nope. but I wonder right now if how, I don't know if jealous or upset or bitter. Or right, he's looking at this going, neat. I missed this shit by two years. How much money would be in my pocket right now? Yeah. He's over in Europe. And yeah, like we were saying the other day, he's probably making a nice salary in Europe. Yeah. But it'll take him five years to make what he would have made in one payday in college. Yeah. You know? I mean, you try to just tell people who are upset or don't get it or are bemoaning it. Is, is it worth bemoaning the way it's gotten out of hand in college athletics? Yeah, sure, of course. Cats out of the bag, Wild West. But it's, it is what it is for now before any sort of legislation or movement changes it. And so you're, you're living in this world, and if it were any of us, this is like this is like any of us going after jobs or going right. after new jobs. These right. are jobs for these right. guys. Obviously, right. now they get paid for these. It's literally a job. And when you're trying to get the best possible job, whether you're 21 years old or you're 41 or 51, you're trying to get as much as you can for you, your family, uh, for whatever the market value of, of what you think you are worth, or better yet, people who know about your industry, like agents, know and think what you're worth, and know, and you have to play that game. These are these are transactions now. It is interesting. Um, Terry Pettit's a former Nebraska volleyball coach. He's a legend in that coaching field. He and he's a brilliant man. And he's you know he's retired. He tweeted that uh, you know he doesn't think he'd be able to coach uh, in this era because most he says most coaches at their core, even modern day coaches in college, you can laugh at this all you want. Sounds very purist, but they consider themselves teachers. And now. The, some of these relationships, at least with the Baylor Shiremans of the world, they're more transactional. I don't know how mm-hmm. much coaches can really teach mm-hmm. when you know they've they, they, these are these are hired guns. Well, they're working with. I don't think this is sustainable the way it is. Yeah. Um, I heard I read the other day that there's a football recruit going to Tennessee. I think six million dollars they're mm. talking in NIL money. First of all, th- it sounds to me like schools are just buying players. Yeah, and that's not supposed to be what NIL is it went, about. It went it's from like, hey, a car dealership can pay you whatever they right, want, right? But, you know, and they're of course affiliated some way with the school. They're boosters. Well, and that's stuff. just it. Like, I'm curious. Like I'm curious what the relationship is, how they are making this, at least somewhat. I don't know if legal is the right word, but again, the letters NIL stand for name and image likeness. Right. It's supposed to mean Mike Dom, Baylor Shireman, Dallas Goddard, Taryn Christian, whoever can get a cut of the money when you sell their jerseys in the bookstore. But they can go film a commercial for Applebee's and, you know, get a check for a thousand bucks or whatever that, you know, kind of stuff pays out. And we saw that stuff happen. You know, Baylor Shireman and Isaiah Davis did an Applebee's commercial. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure when they sell those jerseys now that, yeah, they have to give the players a cut of it if they're going to put their name and number on the back of the and, jersey. And, and cut is the word. It's not even all the money because, right, of course, right, the, the anti, right. even anti-NIL people and anti-paying players beyond a stipend or their scholarship mm-hmm. is was always... Well, the uh, even if a kid is making Duke, uh, whatever Duke is, it's usually the play, a player or two making the mm-hmm. school and what mm-hmm. they are. Especially in basketball, there's only five players on the floor. One player makes a big difference. Still, like Duke's giving them the platform to raise their platform. I mean, right. Baylor's going to Creighton to raise his platform, right. so Creighton has a stake in that as well. Right. So it's just a cut. The school should, and I agree with this, should get 
you know, it's still right. It's still but a Creighton jersey. Apparently, some kid is being given six million dollars just to come to whether it was Tennessee or Texas or whatever. I mean, first of all, that's an insane amount of money. I I am almost loath to admit my initial knee jerk reaction was that's not right, you know. And then I was kind of like, well, you know, this is the very thing you've been arguing for for all these years. You can't suddenly get cold feet because the number's bigger than you expected it to be. So I, you know, I don't necessarily think that that's bad. Good for that kid. Yeah. I'd rather have him get that money than any of those, you know, sixty-year-old white-haired people at the University of Tennessee. Having said that, is is this the road we're going down now? That we're just colleges are just going to pay kids six, seven figures just to come to school? You know, at least Baylor Shireman's yeah. a proven commodity at this point. You yeah. know, we know he's a All-American caliber college basketball player. Now we're going to start just giving this to high school kids. I mean. And the other thing, one of the things I saw and someone react, reacting to that was if this is where we're headed, that these, you know, billionaire essentially uh, football programs, a Texas, Ohio State, uh-huh. or whatever, can start doling out millions to kids to come to school there. It's like, okay, it's not going to take long before there's only 15 college football programs in, in the country yep. that are competing for anything. Yep. You know, and, you know, what does that do to the, to the MAC schools? And what does that do to the FCS schools? And what does that do to, you know, how does that trickle down? Nobody knows. Uh, but that's what I mean when I say I, this is not sustainable. Yeah. This, this Wild West we have here, right. you know, it kind of reminds me of the best analogy I can think of, and I'll admit this is a primitive and mildly inappropriate one, was like, I remember when the drug ecstasy first came out. Like, it wasn't illegal yet because they didn't know about it, you know? Yeah. You could get ecstasy at a party or yeah. something, and it was like, yeah. then eventually they're like, oh, yeah, this is a bad thing. We need to make this illegal, and now it's illegal. Like, <laughs> I'm not comparing these kids getting this money yeah. to taking ecstasy, but, yeah. but it's kind of one of those things where we're in this – this no man's land, the Wild West is the phrase everyone keeps using, where no one knows what they're doing, no one knows really what the rules are, what you can get away with, and obviously there's always going to be someone out there pushing the envelope like, hey, until someone busts me, I'm going to do this shit, and I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't think long. I think coaches, even the coaches who are who are the ones handing out these insane amounts of money, I think are probably going to look at this and go, ah, is this what we want? Yeah. Um, but but what's the fix? I don't know. Because no if the idea. money's out there, like I said, someone's got to get, you know, the money has to go somewhere. And do, would I rather have Baylor Shireman make $500,000 to go to Creighton than have that money, you know, more money to go to Greg McDermott or the athletic director or whatever? Yes. Yeah, I'd way rather have Baylor get that money. And Greg McDermott might too. You know, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. I just know that we've kind of stumbled onto something that kind of looks like it's fucked. No, and, and, and as you were saying all this, I thought there's going to be there's there are going to be 30 for 30s and documentaries yep. made about this stuff. Oh, and we're already planning a big project on it at the Argus this summer. And it'll bring but like in 10, 20 years from now, when we look back on it and wherever we are in 10 or 20 years, I'm going to guess this is this is going to. What you just said, this isn't going to be the norm. Something's going to happen. And we're going to look back and can you believe that right. shit was happening? Right, exactly. It's kind of, and you know what it is? It's just kind of a, a legal form of what was going on 70s, 80s. I think of SMU, that Pony Express 30 for yep. 30, what was going on there. And it just re- you were reminding me of some uh, tweet I saw the other night, of course, Super 70s Sports. Do you like that account? It's fun. I'm aware of it. Uh, he said, if you didn't, he just, you know, he posted a bunch of Big 8 football helmets and jerseys. He said, if you didn't love Big 8 football, you're either a communist or too young to remember it. <laughs> And, uh, and then somebody responded and said, "This, the good old days, back when players kept their salaries to themselves. <laughs> I mean, so we're, it's, it's kind of, this has been going on forever, but now it's going on, uh-huh. quote unquote, legally and just all right in front of us. It's bizarre. 
Don't know what to make of it. But the legal kind of uh, crazy money that you can make in athletics, the uh, the actual professional kind, Pierre Strong, I don't know how much he's going to make, but uh, he's going to be a New England Patriot, and uh, Chris Oladokun is going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. My, my first take, just bundling those two together beyond what rounds they were taken and why they were taken is – I, to, I don't know about you, but to me, when organizations who are that revered, who have right. not only not only have been successful wins and losses and Super Bowl trophies, but also just like you can hate Bill Belichick all you want, he's an asshole, whatever. But the way they operate their business is like they're the models. Like right. model franchises right. took these South Dakota State kids. Yep. I think that uh, I think that's a feather in you know, South Dakota State and John Stegelmeyer's cap and yeah. the kids. Yeah, my first thought when Pierre got taken was, I kind of doubt Bill Belichick's the one who made the phone call. You know, right? But just imagine if it was. You know, I just kind of for a fleeting moment pictured Pierre Strong answering his phone and have a Pierre, <laughs> Bill Belichick, welcome to the Patriots. For, uh, you know, you like and to be just a imagine Patriot. what a moment like that is. Yeah. And if, assuming he didn't have that phone call, at some point he's going to walk into the yep. team headquarters and yeah. meet Bill Belichick. Like, how Belichick. surreal must that be? You know, he grew up obviously well aware of who that is, knowing he's the the, the king of of the NFL essentially, and now said, "Oh my God, I'm." This guy knows my name. He's my boss. This is my coach. I mean, that's that's wild to think about. I've got to impress him now. Yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. and it's a great fit. I mean, just because, like you said, um, it's it's a model franchise. You're not going to the Jags or the Lions or some team that is, you know, tearing it up and starting over every three years and, you, you know, not knowing what, what you're going to have. I mean, they're, you know, they're coming off their first good season since Tom Brady left. You know, they got back to the playoffs last year, got a young quarterback. Their running back room is loaded. Um, but their leading rusher, I think, is going into the last year of his contract. They got a couple injuries. They've always been pretty much a running back by committee team, and that yep. that makes that's a great fit for Pierre. In that, you know, there's obviously not going to be pressure for him to come in and carry the load or anything like that. But also, he's a good fit for that situation because he proved throughout his career at SDSU that he's not a selfish guy. He's not one of those dudes that's like, I need my 25 carries or I'm going to be a malcontent. You know, I mean. Isaiah Davis stepped in there and immediately emerged as his equal, and Pierre Strong wasn't threatened by it at all. He was like, "Hey, welcome aboard. Awesome, right. you're making the team better." And he mentored him. You know, he, they were buds. So I think it's a great fit for Pierre. It's a great fit for the Patriots. Uh, what kind of NFL career is he going to have? I don't know. You know, he could have a seven, eight, nine year career. He could have a couple thousand yard seasons. Uh, he could also be like Zach Zenner and have four or five years bouncing around. That'd, and that'd be terrific. Be but that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Zach Zenner's out there apologizing about no. his football career. You know, then he could so, become an agent like Zach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Zach Zenner also probably made a couple million bucks playing in the NFL for five years. That you know, Bears can make more than that because he's a draft pick. And so. the longer you stay in it, the more connections you make. Yeah. Uh, just in your in with your team within your team within other teams. You know, I mean, it could lead to a lot of avenues. Um, and he. <laughs> uh, it was nice to kind of along with what you're saying, it being the Patriots of all teams that took him. I said last week, you know, like every year these SDSU guys end up going lower than we hear they're going to go. It's always, oh, he's going to maybe go in this round, and then he slips. Be just uh, the assumption being because it's SDSU, you know, mm-hmm. that they don't believe in him or whatever. And uh, you know, I I cautioned to people like, hey, that that could happen with Pierre Strong too. We're hearing third or fourth round, but we always hear they're going to go higher than they do. And I I was kind of expecting Pierre to go in the fifth because just because again that would track with how everyone else has gone. He went mid fourth round. He went where he was projected. So, again, I think – and the, the team that chose him, I mean, I think that goes to show he was legit. He was not one of these guys that was, you know, uh, 
that it was a stretch to take him or that he, you know, jumped on the radar at the last minute. I mean, he was a legit candidate from start to finish, and he went right where everyone projected him to go. The other part about being a running back for them is, you know, you mentioned how it's, it's running back by committee, which also means you'll have an opportunity. They've had – the Patriots have had so many cases in the last – 10 years, uh, including some of their Super Bowl teams where they started with one running back, finished with another. Mm-hmm. Injuries or they just they, they give multiple running backs opportunities mm-hmm. to make plays and pr- become the, the starting tailback or the backup I tailback. I also like the idea that, you know, we heard oh. – I, I was complaining on the podcast last week about some of the scouting reports that said that, oh, he has bad hands. That's his weakness. And I was like, that's bullshit. That's not his weakness. Well, he's going to an offense that throws the ball to their running backs a ton. So you know what that tells me? Bel- Bill Belichick or whoever else that was you know, handling the Patriots draft was like, yeah, he can catch the football. Yep. Whatever, whoever wrote that scouting report that said he doesn't have good hands is wrong. Yep. So yeah. Bill Belichick is still smart. That's what I was going to say next. Damn it. Oh, I Good. stole your thunder. No, you bad. didn't. No, no, no. This, this back and forth is fine. You know, great minds think alike. Uh, I don't know what else to say about Pierre. Uh, I heard an interview he did with Mark O and Mike H the other day on the radio. Uh, as you've known for a long time, good dude. And I think, uh, again, just just what we were talking about, uh, when it comes to opportunities and the usage of the running back, this is a guy who uh, didn't become the guy at SDSU until, what, injuries and other things. Uh, uh, what he, was his... He played as a redshirt. Well, first of all, he redshirted. Yeah. When it was pretty apparent, he didn't need to. Yeah. Um, and who are the guys in front his, of him? Uh, I think it was Isaac Wallace was the That's one it. finally. Yeah. And he had suffered a horrific injury. Yep. That was what finally gave Pierre his chance, and yeah. obviously he took it and ran with it. Because Marco was saying how whenever they talk to John Stiegelmeyer, they always like to give Stiegelmeyer a crap about how, you know, that's what it took to get Pierre Strong on the, you know, on the field. But then you have uh, Ola Duncan going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and again, I thought the same thing. Well, first of all, it's interesting because, of course, they're moving off of the Big Ben era. They draft Kenny Pickett, which was, in, it, with the exception of his small hands, was uh, kind of one of the more ballyhooed quarterbacks of the draft class, and um, and a Pittsburgh kid. That was an inc- you know, a, not a Pittsburgh kid, a New Jersey kid who I think he's a New Jersey kid who you know went and played at Pittsburgh. It's their atonement for not drafting Dan Marino in 1983. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly he's their guy. Yeah. So when I saw Ola Duncan, I'm like Ola Duncan. Sorry. I thought, uh, you know, well, I mean. There goes his chance of being a starting quarterback. But he wasn't going to have a chance of being a starting quarterback no, anywhere. No. So uh, what a great place to go be a backup. And by the way, I mean, you got a rookie in front of you. at the, So no, well, I'm no, assuming they probably have a, another veteran on the roster. I would assume so as well. Yeah. I haven't done the I – I would think yeah. Chris is probably, unless he really blows it in his you know preseason and everything, which I do not at all expect him to do, um, he's, he's probably bound for the practice squad. That would be my guess is where he'll end up. Um, and And – that will be a great place for him to go learn and, and potentially work his way into, you know, being a backup and then maybe working his way from being a backup to a starter. I could, I would not be the least bit surprised to see Chris Oladokun have a 10-year a career in the NFL. Now, would he ever be a starter in that 10 years? Maybe, maybe not. But he's just, like I said last week, like, he's just such a low-risk guy. You know, he does everything well, and he's so smart, and he's such a good dude that it's just, you know, his worst-case scenario 
is pretty good. Yeah. You know, there's just there's just no risk with the guy. I don't know how high the ceiling is, but I know the floor is really high. Well, um, plus what a living you could make out of being a backup quarterback yeah. or a reserve quarterback. Uh, and it's a big deal that he got drafted in the mm-hmm. seventh round. I mean, we've seen so many SDSU guys over the years that were fringe guys. Zach Zenner, Jake yes. Winnicky, Taron Christian, Cade Johnson. And we thought all those guys were going to go in the sixth or seventh round. And ultimately, all those guys got into a camp. Christian Roseboom's another one. Um, and most... All of them got into a camp, and some of them made it into the NFL for a while. But the thinking, the, the idea was always like, well, we don't have to draft these guys because we can just sign them as a free agent after the draft is yeah. over. We don't need to use a draft pick on the, on these guys. Someone decided they needed to use a draft pick on Chris Oladokun because if they didn't, they wouldn't get him. Yeah. And that says something. He's the first SDSU quarterback to get drafted. I mean, not technically some guy got drafted in like the 16th round in the 60s or something, but <laughs> in the modern era, yeah. you know, and you think of the quarterbacks they've had there, you know, Ryan Berry, Austin Sumner, Taron Christian, and there have been some really good ones. And he's the first one to get drafted for an NFL team to say, not only do we want you, we are going to use a draft pick on mm. you to make sure no one else can get you. Mm-hmm. That's a big statement. And what, what else are you looking for in, in reserve and backup quarterbacks? Solid dudes, dependable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and if, if you get them into a role where they're – and this goes along with a rookie starter, Kenny Pickett as well. I mean, who knows? He might come out guns a-blazing and they'll unleash the hounds right away. The Steelers seem like an organization a little more conservative in, in the way they approach a lot of things. Their way of football has always been, even with a quarterback like Big Ben – who had his 40 or 50 pass attempt games here and there. But mm-hmm. generally, it's a run-the-ball defense type of team and organization and don't screw up and defensive-minded head coach. That, that makes a difference. Anyway, that, that, that fits in for what you expect out of a backup quarterback anyway. Just be solid. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily hand the ball off well, but they're not going to put him in a position to fail. By the way, uh, they, and they got to have a good line of block for him, obviously. Mason Rudolph, is, as far as I can tell, is the only other listed quarterback currently on the Pittsburgh Steelers roster. Huh. It's Mason Rudolph, who is obviously from Oklahoma State, and they, they drafted him, don't remember the round, as – yeah, at the very least a backup and maybe the plan to succeed Big Ben. He's been given his chance because uh-huh. Ben's been hurt a lot and he hasn't really done much, right. but it's partly because I think they've had a crap offensive line. I did see when Oladokun got drafted, a bunch of Steelers fans tweeting stuff like, bye Mason, you know, stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah, he we'll got see. his chance and yeah. he crashed and burned. So, yeah, we'll see. Any other uh, local draft analysis? I mean, there were some other guys that got in. Uh Jack Cochran for USD, the linebacker we talked about, signed with uh, ooh, the Chiefs, maybe. Um, with SDSU, uh, Aaron Johnson got signed by the Ravens, the offensive lineman. Michael Griffin, the safety, got signed by the Titans. Uh, Don Gardner, the cornerback, got signed with Tampa Bay. Um, so that was good to see. All three of those guys had productive careers, a good pro day. You know, we talked about Michael Griffin, his big leap, vertical leap at pro day was kind of the his big – uh, you know, the kind of thing that may, he made his mark with. And I'm really happy for Don Gardner. He was one of my favorite players his time, entire time at SDSU and then his senior year where he was really hoping, hey, if I have a big senior year here, I can maybe get drafted. He was hurt for most of the year and, and didn't quite have as good a year as he wanted to. So I didn't know if he was even going to get that opportunity. He's getting into a camp with the Bucks, facing an uphill battle making that team, but he's going to get that shot. So that's cool. Uh, Jack Cochran did go with the Chiefs, undrafted free agent. So, there you go on that one. Well, that's cool. I'm uh, I'm all for that. I like Don. You know, I like Don Gardner because his name is Don. How many Dons are there? Know. You know? know. Okay. And so my <laughs> guess is obviously you covered him and talked to him a bit. Is, does he seem like a Don, like an older soul, like a more mature dude? Um, than a, 
I don't know, maybe right. a little. I mean, he's he's a he's a charismatic guy, and it, okay. it kind of took him a while. That was one of the things I, I wrote a big story about him before the season, and then of course he got hurt immediately. The Matt Zimmer Argus Leader curse. Uh, he was very quiet <laughs> early in his career, okay. and uh, you know he played under some really good defensive backs. And as he started to emerge as a starter and then as an All Conference caliber guy, he became much more outgoing to where he was one of the leaders on the team. And if you went to a practice, you always knew where Don Gardner was. You always heard his voice. You know whether they were doing live sessions or just going through drills. He was a guy that had fun out there on the field, and you always knew where he was. He he. Was a fun guy to talk to, and he's a great player. You know, cornerback's the most difficult position on the field besides quarterback, and he embraced the difficulty of that position and kind of having that short memory you talk about. Like, you know, if you're going to get burned, you got to be able to forget it and move on. And and he just had a really good career and was a good dude. And and I'm I'm rooting for him. I hope he makes it. Is that what most coaches tell you, or is that your opinion, or is that what you hear that cornerback is second most important? I kind of thought that was conventional wisdom. I thought it was always like pass rusher. Pass like there's most there. difficult position. Oh, oh, no, oh, not most difficult. Most difficult. Yes, I thought you meant second most important. No, I no, most difficult that. to play is what I meant. Okay, yeah, I mean maybe I misspoke. No, no I meant cor- cornerback is oh. the second most difficult position to play. Sure, yeah, you're failing a lot. Right. Yeah, I mean right. it's just like yeah, you only get quarterback's no- the hardest is because there's the most shit to know. Yeah, um, offensive line's really hard as it well. It is, it is. I'd probably put that at number three. Yeah, um, Anywhere on the offensive line. Probably center maybe because they do a lot of the calls yep. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, uh, but second most important, I mean, cornerback's probably top five most important. Yeah, I mean, quarterback, nowadays it's you know, pass qu- rusher. quarterback, edge rusher, left tackle, right yeah. tackle if you got a left-handed quarterback. I yeah. Guess, you know. yeah, receivers have become a lot more important. And, it's it's yeah. funny, you know, not to get sidetracked, but I yeah. had an interesting conversation with Jason Eck once because I learned a lot from Jason Eck, and that's part of why I liked him so much. But, um, you know, I've always thought I have a pretty good handle on how the game's played and, and a good knowledge of, of stuff. And we were talking about the offensive line once, and he was talking about how great Tiano Pupungatoa was. And uh, he was their right guard, I think. He was a guard. And I was kind of like, well, if he's so good, you know, why does he play guard? And he's like, what do you mean? That's what he's – that's the posi- the profile his he fits. He's he's guard. He's probably the best guard in the in the country. And I was like, I don't know. I always kind of thought the conventional wisdom was your best offensive lineman played tackle and center. And then yeah, you want your guards to be good, but you know they're kind of filler for the other guys. And and Jason was like, well, I mean, yeah, maybe you want your tackle to be your best guy and your center to be your best guy. But he's like. I'm not putting stiffs out there to play guards, him. You know, I want those guys to be good too. And, and yeah. he's like, and Tiano's awesome. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a. I remember he's a mean son of a bitch. That was his quote about him, and that just kind of changed the way I looked at the offensive line. That's just kind of a rare example of sometimes, you know, the things you no. learn from having those conversations they, with coaches. They're supposedly the smartest guys on the team, and uh, usually, the, I mean, they, they, yeah, I, I've, I've often said this, and if. If any of the three people that listen to this are, are planning on getting into being a football beat writer at some point, I always tell people who ask me for advice on like covering football, like get to know the offensive lineman, talk to the offensive lineman, watch the offensive lineman, hang out with the offensive lineman, um, because those guys will always give you the best quotes. They'll always tell you what's going on with the team. They'll always give you unfiltered opinions about their head coach the position coach the other team like that's how you find out the heartbeat of the team is talking mm-hmm. to the offensive line and that's because uh, that's because a they're smart probably b they appreciate the attention more because they don't get it from the girls it requires a certain personality yes yeah. they are kind yeah. of the lunch pail guys that yeah. you know they know that we're doing all the hard work and we're not getting any of the glamour yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and they're not getting the girls i mean you know they're getting girls uh, i've right. seen some that got some pretty good looking <laughs> girls 
<laughs> well, and so, well, they're not, and we can't think of them as fat guys. I mean, Stiegelmeyer likes to call them the fat guys still. Right. That's a fun term. But they're not, not they're so not, much anymore. Not so yeah. much anymore. Yeah, yeah. especially nor, the higher up you go, nor the defensive linemen. Uh, by the way, did you? Uh, are, have you watched any NBA since the Timberwolves were knocked out? Nope. It was, it was kind of Timberwolves or bust. <laughs> I'd hate to admit I'll it. probably tune back in as it gets closer to the finals, but yeah. as of now, no. Sadly for me, it's kind of like if I've got nothing, if I'm watching nothing else, and I see like on my, I have Hulu, like, oh, there, there's an option. Oh, it's on uh, TNT? Oh, I just want to watch this to see what right, Charles Barkley right, has to right, say at halftime right, right. or after the game. How, how do you look back on the, uh, on the whole Timberwolves thing? Here's how I... Okay, you go first. No, you go first. Okay. I wouldn't want to say the same thing you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Oh, yeah, because you've already done it once, you bastard. Yeah. No, uh, it, it's um, – we don't have to – this does not have to be black and white, yes or no. Like, it's it, it's either this colossal disappointment uh, because they blew they blew three games. They historically right. blew – They essentially won the series 5-1, to one, yeah, except they lost. Yeah, uh, exactly. They had never – there had never been more than one game in a series where a team blew – any NBA playoff series where a team blew a double-digit lead, I think, second half or fourth quarter. Yeah, they did Timberwolves three did it three times. Okay, so yes, that's an, that's an embarrassing, uh, colossal choke. They should be in the second round, and it sucks. Uh, and then there's the other camp that, of course, says, hey, they made the playoffs. Uh, it's a big step. I mean, second time they made the playoffs. Playing with house money. Yeah. Yeah, just playing by house being money. There. Yeah. Wasn't this yeah. nice? It was just nice to have a. It was, ni- it was nice to have nice things for once. Yeah. And enjoy the ride. Blah, I fall blah, more blah. into Future's that break. camp. I think uh, there's somewhere in between that says you can have both. I mean, it still right. is a choke. Right. And you don't. Right. And you're, we're not guaranteed anything. Who knows how long some of these top players are going to be say, around? That's the thing that I where I do. There's a little bit of a narrative of like, oh, this young team finally got a taste of the playoffs. This is the first step learning experience. Towards, yeah, yeah, learning. Well, maybe. But maybe not, you know. Is D'Angelo Russell going to be back? I mean, is Cat? Who knows with Cat? Like, is he going to be this good ever again? Is I don't know. I mean, what's the rest of the roster going to look like? I don't know. I I am not yeah. of the opinion that oh, this is just step one in five steps to an NBA championship. I mean, I hope they're in the playoffs yeah. next year. But one thing I didn't really know because again, I didn't pay any attention to the NBA this year. But then I read uh, John Krasinski's. Uh, kind of season wrap for the athletic and he said like half the west had their best players hurt like you know lebron was out for the lakers and and some other guys um, you know uh, anthony davis was out and and some other teams teams i barely even know who their players are but sure yeah all these teams had a bunch of injuries that's part of how the wolves were able to get all the way up to the seventh seed next year he was saying the top 10 in the west are all going to be really fucking good so to think the Wolves are just going to, you know, rubber stamp a playoff appearance next yes. year and be a 4-5 seed yeah. or something, like, do not think that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the Memphis was the not just the number two seed in the West, but the number two best record in the NBA, so by wins and losses, second best team in the NBA, and it's, like, really exciting that the Wolves were that close to them, but then you go right. wonder, well, how good is the NBA this year? I mean, and then you yeah. actually watch and see the team. It's, it's basically Ja Morant and – a lot of other dudes. Uh-huh. One of them's Tyus Jones, who I'm sure I, the, the, the Wolves should probably bring back. Seriously, I, he might be as good or better of an option than D'Angelo Russell because Russell's talent has not blossomed or come to fruition. He's give, he's been given enough chances that he makes max money. That's know. the that's the one. Yeah, that's the what that's the one guy would get ri- like that's yeah, right. We, we don't need that around. It's it's cats hard to get rid of uh, with the max money, and he still has plenty of assets for all the. 
for and all it seems the like he aggravating wants to, I think the biggest thing him. with Cat is it seems like he wants to be there. It's amazing. If, if you yes. have a, a franchise player who isn't trying to get the fuck out of Especially Minneapolis, if yeah, yeah. If you're yeah. Minnesota, I think you you yeah. got to be happy about that. And you know? uh, and Ant's there, and you want. I mean, obviously, you want that guy to continue his career in Minnesota. So, uh, but yeah, I just kind of thought, wow, Memphis, this team is the number two team. Okay, uh, yeah, how good is it really? And the other part of it is the one thing that, uh, you know, second-day stuff you read and hear and watch and see on Twitter, the fact that I, I guess I – didn't, I didn't sit for the end of it, but I guess some of the uh, Timberwolves fans were, uh, you know, clapping the team off the court. As they're, they should. They're thrilled. That's great. I don't okay. have a problem Some with people that. were just pissed about, like, what a bunch of – what a loser mentality. Jeez, come wear the boot. Where they the hadn't bo- done anything worth a shit for – I mean, they had the one year with Tibbs, but even that was – you know, I have no problem with them being celebrated. What they did this year was great. Yeah. Give them credit. Yeah, they choked in the playoffs, but like I said, when everyone saw, oh, they're playing a, the 7-2 series, they'll be lucky if they win a game. Yeah. You know. And by the way, the Twins are on fire. The Wild, from those who have been following the Wild and the North Stars before that, and maybe the best hockey pro team that the Twin Seas have ever had. Of course, that depends on how they finish, how they perform in the playoffs. And it didn't start out well. But I probably won't start watching until the uh, Western Conference Finals. Yeah, if they, if make, they make it. it. Yeah. But uh, so, for, for, so for a fleeting moment in time, Twin Seas, City sports are doing pretty well. We didn't dive into the Vikings. How would you, how'd you in, a, in a sentence, describe the Vikings draft? Um, I hated that they kept trading <laughs> with teams in their division. Yeah. Like, I think it turned out fine. I, I made a joking tweet, fire quasi after the second trade. It's like, stop trading with the teams in the division. Yeah. Don't yeah, yeah. do that. Yeah. So they just gave them players that you're going to have to face twice a year. The best one I saw was quasi whatever Spielman. Like, that's yeah, his. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. I think it turned out all right with like the players they ended up getting. I think they're, they're hard so to speak, was fine. Not that any of us know. They're, you know, of course. We always give these teams an A, and then they, the players start to suck, or we give them a D, and the players all end up making the Pro Bowl. But I just didn't like the trade, the who they traded with. But we'll see. Um, a lot of defensive backs. I guess that's a big point of emphasis. So we'll see. Final note, you have a big uh, – it's already come out online, but in the Sunday paper, big story on the Sioux Falls Canaries. Uh, I'd encourage people to read it, and I think we could certainly dive into them and uh, their future here, their near and far future here in There's Sioux Falls. There's a lot to chew on in that story. Yeah, yeah. and you said it. Uh, it's done really well, which is good to know. People are at least curious and interested about what's going on over at the birdcage. A lot's going on. How would you uh, summarize your experience in, in compiling what you wrote? Well, I'm a very cynical person, and especially when I'm talking to – people in positions of authority, people with money. So when an owner tells me how great he is and how he's going to spend all this money and do all these great things, my bullshit detector, you know, starts, <laughs> the alarm goes off really sure. loudly. And uh, I have to give these guys credit. Um, they appear to be putting their money where their mouth is. Now, you know, how, what that turns into, how long their investment, you know, survives, all that, I'm not going to speculate. But right now, these guys came in and said, hey, we're, we're not doing, this is not a quick fix. This is not a try to make a buck and get out kind of thing. We're, we're coming here to try and make this product better, invest money in it, spend money to make money, and they're doing that. Yeah. Uh, last year, they put up a half a million dollar scoreboard. That was cool. But I think a lot of people kind of thought that it was sort of a, a gesture, like, see, look at us. We did this thing. And your buddy, Jack, uh, the new executive vice president mm-hmm. gave me a direct quote saying, you can't just put a million dollar TV out in the, on the fence and call it good. That was a good starting point, but we have to keep doing more. Now this year they're tearing out the field and putting in artificial turf. They, the, the, the one that stuck out to me the most was going from two full-time employees to 11. Yeah. Um, everyone else in, in particularly minor league baseball, but in sports in general is usually cut, 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 cut. They're adding. Then you do, you know, they're throwing in, they're taking over the concessions by themselves. 
letting Mike have the full salary cap for the for the roster. You know, everything as much as you know, nicer uniforms. I joked to you that, that they're giving the players leather belts. You know, that's such a tiny little detail that most people probably go, "Who gives a shit?" It matters. Yeah. You know, that tells the players like, "Hey, I'm playing for a professional baseball organization." Well, it's a sign that if you're taking care of the players, maybe better players will want to play for you. Right. And then and they'll and, start winning. And, and that if you take care of the players, maybe you'll take care of your fans. Exactly. So, uh, read it. We'll get it more into that. But yeah, I mean, to put it the way Jack puts it, Jack's my boss. I work for the Canaries. I'm I'm one. 100th of the operation trying to make things better out there uh some more people will come out and enjoy and keep coming back it's they're doing they're doing the kind of the things they're doing it, it's like a one a year type of thing they're doing like five different mm-hmm. things that usually mm-hmm. just do you know uh, well, jack gave me another good quote too like and trust me he's there 12 fucking hours he's always there he's he's living at the office and, and he gave a very i thought self-aware quote to me where he's like we're aware that we didn't like these are not Terribly original ideas. We like it's not like nobody thought of this stuff. Yeah, trying to keep up like, with the Joneses. But every time this stuff came up before, it was like, yeah, we'll get to that. First, we're going to do this. That, yeah, sure, we'd love to get to that. We'll do that too. We'll do that too. We'll yeah. do that too. And none of those things ever ended up getting done. It was always kicking the can down the road and oh yeah, sure someday. And you know, you have enough years of that. People like you, people like Duel, start kind of rolling your eyes and going, yeah, yeah all right, whatever. This is never going to happen, and we all know it. And like you said, now it's all happening at once. The, the, the mantra that Jack gave is, why not now? Why yeah. wait? Why not just do it now? Yep. Breath of fresh air, what Duel said. He would know. He's been there for nine years. If anybody could be beaten down, right. he'd be Duel. And and he's uh, he's appreciated uh, a lot because he had to do a lot of this by himself in the past. Read it, Argus Leader. Matt, we'll, th- we'll dive more into it. There's a big conversation we could have. Nice to see you. See you later. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. Because <laughs> you know how to run drinks? Yes. Yeah.